In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I have an idea for a skit, maybe like a Saturday Night Live sketch or something like that. It's, it'll take place about 40 or 50 years in the future and uh, in the summertime, probably late June. And uh, it begins as a crotchety old man. Maybe he's a retired priest. I'm not sure. But he, uh, he comes in and complains to his wife. It's not even the 4th of July yet, and people already have their Christmas decorations up. Um, it just seems like it gets earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? I, I, um, it probably doesn't. I mean, I remember when I was a kid after Halloween, seeing the stores put up their decorations, but uh, it just feels like there's more lights up already than there are usually at this time. And, and in fact, there's all, in my neighborhood, there's a whole stretch of houses that already has their lights up, the trees in the window and everything. And it just seems uh, off to me. Uh, I saw, I did see a a meme or a little a picture on the internet uh, this week that said, uh, baby elephants are born weighing approximately 250 pounds, making them the world's biggest babies, right next to people who complain about others celebrating Christmas too early. So, um, but I mean, that's just maybe true, but I, I'm one of the complainers. It just feels funny to celebrate things out of order. You know, we have, first have Halloween, then we have Thanksgiving, and then we have Christmas. So I wonder if it feels funny to you before Thanksgiving, before Christmas, before New Year's, before Ash Wednesday to have the Good Friday Gospel reading. Yeah, do you wonder about that? Jesus dying on the cross, it just kind of seems like maybe not the right time to be talking about that. The reason is it's the last Sunday in the Christian year. Uh, it's the culmination of the whole Christian story that we, we began last Advent. And next Sunday, we're going to start over. Start over again with the, uh, telling the story, uh, the incarnation of Christ, anticipating uh, Christ's coming, of course, Christmas, and then uh, that all begins next week. But this Sunday, today is the culmination, the denouement. It is Christ the King Sunday. And so it is wholly appropriate that we recall not just Christ ascending his throne, but actually Christ ascending his altar, where he would be the final atoning sacrifice, his cross, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. A friend of mine recently said, he is not king because he went to the cross. He went to the cross because he is the king. The truth is, though, and I don't know if this is true for you personally, but as a culture, and even sometimes as, a, as, as the Christian church widely, we don't like the cross. It is unpleasant, very much so. It's hard to watch. Uh, it's harder still to meditate upon or linger on. It just seems ugly, bloody, and it just stands in relentless and offensive defiance to the power of positive thinking, which our culture loves and trusts so much. We much prefer Easter and the promise of new life or Christmas and the baby in the manger, not to mention the presents. But both Christmas and Easter must 
have Good Friday. Christmas is the incarnation of God who came to die for our sins. And Easter is the vindication of our crucified Savior. Now, of course, make no mistake, Good Friday uh, certainly depends upon both Christmas and Easter. It had to be God that came who died on the cross. And He had to defeat sin and death by rising again. But the cross is the center of our faith. It is the cross that makes us Christians. Not the sweet baby in swaddling clothes. Not the empty tomb if we have bypassed the cross. And not even the magisterial teachings and miracles and ethics of Jesus. It is the cross that makes us Christians. Because the cross is the means by which God has forgiven our sin and reconciled us to Himself. The cross gives us a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The cross is the great eternal flushing of sin into the abyss and the great forever closing of the otherwise impassable chasm. The cross is the daring display of the sustained and unconditional agape love of God for sinners like you and me. And St. Luke gives us unique and a unique and amazing glimpse into the gracious glory of the cross because it is only in St. Luke that we hear Jesus' conversation with the penitent criminal. If we take the time to listen, we see that this conversation contains the very heart of the Christian gospel and illustrates the centrality of the cross to our faith, not just the Friday before Easter, but every day, all day, forever. Including right now, as we enter into the holiday season. So, as we survey the gospel scene before us, we see Jesus hanging on the cross between two criminals, One of the criminals is calling for Jesus to use his messianic power to get them all the heck out of there, right? The second criminal is rebuking the first and asking Jesus to remember him when he gets to the other side of death. In other words, one is asking for Jesus to grant him an earthly deliverance, and one is, maybe, asking Jesus to grant him an eternal deliverance. So, should we pit the two criminals against one another? Should we say, be like the one, but not like the other? Let's look at the first criminal. And really, who can't relate to this guy? He's facing his death, and he wants to live, right? He's not pretending that he hadn't done anything wrong, made some bad choices. He just wants life to be the way it was. And so he's asking Jesus, can you get me out of this jam? And I got to tell you, I've prayed that prayer a thousand times or more. I mean, for myself, for others who are sick or 
others who are facing financial difficulty, who have problems at work or in their family, who have problems with alcohol, and on and on and on. Jesus, can you get me out of this jam? Or maybe it's not a request. Maybe it's Jesus, get me out of this jam. Sort of a command. And I got to tell you, I want you to keep praying those prayers. I do. The scriptures tell us, cast your burdens unto Jesus because he cares for you. Now, the first criminal, he's, he's probably just in it for himself, but can I really say that I'm not either? Can you? Now, I will grant that the second criminal seems to have the better attitude. Uh, he is owning the earthly consequence for his crime. He sees the injustice of Jesus' death, and he even seems to understand that death will not be the final word or the final destination for Jesus. So I will grant there is a lot to commend in the disposition of the second criminal towards Jesus. But come on, guys, he's a criminal. I mean, are we so sure that he's not just taking the opportunity of the first criminal's tantrum to make himself look good in Jesus' eyes? I don't know how it's gone in your uh, house, but especially when my kids were younger, I could always count on my kids behaving the best if another one was throwing a tantrum. Right? So one's throwing a tantrum and the other one butts in and says, hey, do you want me to do the dishes? Or something, you know, like... I mean, they just instinctively use the opportunity to make themselves look good. Is, is that what's going on here? Sorry, guys. Where, where are you? <laughs> you know, this second criminal, he doesn't actually ask Jesus to forgive his sin. He doesn't even ask Jesus to take him with him to paradise. He says... Remember me. Think of me. Maybe even like say a prayer for me when you're up in paradise and I'm not. Whatever that, I mean, whatever that meant in his own mind. But the truth is both of these guys are criminals. They've both broken the commandment of God not to steal, which means they both were more devoted to the law of their own desire than they were to the law of God. Just like you and me. They are both in need of immediate grace and mercy. If grace is the situation where, they, where we do receive something good that we don't deserve, and mercy is the situation where we don't receive something bad that we do deserve, they both need both now, right? And to say that we should be like one of them, but not like the other, would not just be to miss their mutual condition of need before God, but to miss our own condition of utter need before God. It would be to fall again into that false and fluffy trap of thinking that the Bible is primarily about us and what we should do, rather than being about God and what He has already done for us. It would be to give into that false and self-serving hope that if we just follow the right formula, if we just say the right thing, or if we just do the right thing, that that will be good enough and God will accept us. The amazing thing about this passage is not that a criminal repented in his darkest hour and asked that Jesus remember him, but that Jesus looked into the eyes of a condemned criminal 
the breaker of the divine commandment and said, remember you, heck, I'm taking you with me. That's the good news for all of us breakers of divine law. That Christ has looked us in the eyes of our heart and seen covetousness, seen resentment, seen our hatred, our fear, our sin on the outside, our sin on the inside. And he took all of that separation that we have between God and ourselves and he took it with him upon himself straight to hell. And he left it there and rose again and said, I'm going to paradise and I'm taking you with me. Jesus on the cross is the hero of this passage, not the penitent criminal. I have a friend who is the rector of a church in a college town north of Pittsburgh. And he told me that his music leader had been dating a girl who called herself an atheist. Apparently she was very good looking, and so he figured God would understand. Um, (laughs) Now... As my friend pointed out, nearly every atheist holds two truths. Number one, there is no God. And number two, I hate him. And so, like so many supposed atheists, the girl had been brought up in church and she had a really devastating experience and reactively declared that there must be no God. But after a while, Because it was important to the boyfriend, the girl came to church. And then she came back. And then she came back. And after a few weeks, she came for communion. And my friend kind of looked at her, and she gave him a wink, which he took as a profession of faith, and then she took communion. And he caught up with her afterwards to see what had changed. And she said, I always thought that Jesus was just a projection of human judgment. But, slightly censored, I found out that Jesus knows I'm a total beast and loves me anyway. She had hidden in a feigned atheism because she knew who she was and in her insecurity was desperate to avoid judgment. Little had she known that Jesus took the judgment for her. Jesus didn't tell the second criminal, find a way off the cross and clean up your act. And Jesus didn't commend him for his rebuke of the first criminal or for his request to remember him in his kingdom. No, Jesus used his full authority as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by virtue of the very cross he was hanging on, he declared a sinner to be saved. It was not by the initiative of the man's formulaic request, nor by any virtue in his heart, but utterly and only by the grace and mercy and kindness of God in Christ the King. By virtue of that same cross, that same grace and mercy and kindness of God in Christ, that same offer is made to you whether you have walked with Him for many, many years, whether you've really never been sure, or whether you just stumbled in here this morning for the first time, whether you're suffering, or hurt, or angry, 
or whether you're doing okay, or whether you've never been better, if your faith is in Him, or if your desire is for your faith to be in Him, that is the work of Christ the King in you. And there's no better message with which we could end the church year. And in fact, there's no better message that we could have in order to move into the holiday season. I mean, there's so much in this upcoming season that competes for our attention and our devotion, our desires, our money, our time. But it is Christ the King hanging on the cross, loving you, forgiving you, reconciling Himself to you. It ushers us in to anticipating His coming and His coming again. It's never the wrong time to celebrate and give thanks and respond to Jesus on the cross where He calls you to be with Him now and forever. Amen.